Hello, a very Merry Christmas and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Barocco and I'm joined this evening by Stephen Carroll. Hello, Steve. Evening. Uh, first of all, apologies. It's been a long time since we last did a podcast. It's six games, I think, in fact. But uh, unfortunately, we've struggled to get us all three together. That's why it's me and Steve tonight. We've decided in the end to bite the bullet. We needed to get a podcast out before Christmas. And uh, so we thought we'd just get one done and get ourselves up to date. Um, Steve, a lot has happened in the last few games. Uh, in fact, the last podcast we did was following the Coventry away, away game where we won uh, 2-1. And I remember saying at the end of that podcast, if we can get a result at Bournemouth, uh, which was the next game, then I think we are a playoff team. I really did think that at the time. <laughs> so yeah, it's a curse, because since then, there's four points from six games and the, our form has pretty much fallen off the edge of a cliff, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, that is a bit of, it's been a bit of a turning point for us, hasn't it? So hopefully now by um, doing a podcast again, uh, we can turn the tide the other way because it's uh, yeah, it's not been the most enjoyable a few weeks, has it? No, there's lots of things we're going to talk about in this pod. First of all, we're going to go through the actual results and the, and the way the game's played out uh, quickly because um, some of them are jogging our memory as best we can, to be honest. Let's talk about that Bournemouth game. Uh, 4-0 didn't feel like a 4-0 game in the end, uh, but... Um, we were beaten by the better better side. There were a couple of moments in that game, particularly uh, early on with the Ethan Led penalty shout. Uh, the game could have gone completely differently. Ethan Led and penalties, it seems to be an ongoing thing, Steve. In fact, Swans and penalties, we're just not getting them. We're not getting the calls at all. Yeah, well, we'll go on to discuss further instances where we could have had a penalty, won't we? But yeah, it's, it's really frustrating because you think in some of the games where we could have had a penalty, it really would have made a big difference to the results. So, you know, that one at Bournemouth did look like a big one. And at the time, it's 0-0. If uh, that penalty is given and we score it, obviously we're going one that we'd like to fancy us to have at least got something from that mm. game then. But obviously it went the other way. We, we were the better side at the start. And then um, obviously Bournemouth managed to get a goal. Half-time is 1-0. They've scored again quickly after the break. I mean, if we're honest, in the end, they have given us a little bit of a hiding, really. We, it was men against boys uh, for the last half an hour or so, but there were positives before that. I thought we had honestly played well. We'd, the first 20 minutes, they were really struggling to get the ball off us. So there were encouraging signs there, but um, yeah, un- unfortunately, we, we didn't get that penalty. And, you know, um, yeah, they ran riot a bit against us, didn't they, after the break? Yeah, it was, I think in particular the last 10 minutes or so, um, the, the fourth goal we were trying to play ourselves out of a, a penalty area. I feel like at that point, 3-0 I thought was a bit harsh, given the way the game played out. Like you say, first 20 minutes we were comfortably the better team. Um, so 4-0 felt a little bit unfair. Uh, but there's a the difference between your Bournemouth and your Swansea's in this division at the moment. They have the, uh, the Premier League players in there that um, can hurt you. Uh, if you if you make a mistake and stuff, uh, I think Dominic Solanke had a bit of a game that day as well, didn't he? If I remember right. Yeah, he scored a couple. So um, yeah, it's the difference. Uh, we're obviously going through this transition, this process again. We're going to talk about the whole way that the, the form is going, the way the team has gone recently in a little bit. Um, but I don't think we were too downhearted. More the result, uh, more the scoreline than the result. I think we really expected. Uh, to come away from um, Bournemouth with a win, but it would have been lovely if we could have got something from it. Um, but we were, we're going to take a break after that then because of the international break. Um, so it was two weeks later before we came back to the football, uh, to the Swans at least, and it was a home game against Blackpool. And to be honest with you, so far this season, Steve, when we've had an international break, it's helped us to learn more about Russell Martin's style of football and kind of we always looked at 10-15% better coming back, haven't we? Um, maybe not quite so much this time. Blackpool, I feel like that was a game which is non, not really a great deal going on. Um, I believe Russell Martin said in the build-up, uh, sorry, in the post-match, that he thinks he might have worked his team a little bit too hard in the international break in preparation because, particularly in the second half, a little bit tired of legs, not a great deal going forward. Um, but we were hit by a late sucker punch. Yeah, I think the Blackpool one was a bit of a funny game, wasn't it? There weren't many chances at all in this. I mean, like, I was thinking in the first half, we not played particularly well. Perot has scored a wonder goal, really, hasn't he? And that's made the difference for us. 
But I mean, in the second half, we you could sense Blackpool coming into it towards the end of the game, but they, they were creating a lot of chances. They were more just having quite a bit of possession, but you know, we conceded a soft goal late on, really, haven't we, from a corner where the goalkeeper could have claimed it, really. He's not, and then it's ended up in the back of the net. But that was two points dropped. Um, you know, you can't look at it another way than that, really. That was, you know, that, that was a game we should have seen out and. You know, those two points would have been quite valuable to us, really, wouldn't they? But uh, we let them slip through our fingers. Well, upon reflection, definitely, the way the games have gone. Um, I feel it's not going to be the first time, or uh, the last time, rather, that we're going to mention um, the goalkeeper might have done better in these uh, analyses. Um, so we're going to move on now to um, midweek the next week, where we, we picked up the last of our points in recent times, which was away at Barnsley, and this one was a this one was a strange one, honestly. But I mean, we looked at that game, um, probably for about an hour or so, and thought, I mean, this is statistically this is fantastic. We were we're looking like we're going to break records with six, seven, eight hundred passes, um, possession in the high seventies. It was just like it looked like a total domination, but ultimately, not many clear cut chances, um, not a lot of threat around the penalty area. And um, why wouldn't Barnsley, a struggling team in this division, allow us to have all of the ball on the halfway line? I mean, if anything, they played into their hands to say, well, go on, then we, you know, this is a team, we were obviously a team in confidence at the time, and we wanted to dominate the ball, but we weren't hurting them. Um, so it was a little bit frustrating at times, wasn't it? We thought, right, it's going to look like we battered them, but in truth, maybe we haven't. Um, and then a double substitution made all the difference. Yeah, I think obviously it's definitely a game we deserve to win. But, I mean, as you say, that first half, well, we weren't really causing them many problems. We were just having a lot of the ball in our third and maybe the middle third of the pitch, but not in the final third. And then, you know, we I think we just needed to be maybe a little bit more... We needed to take some more risks. I think mm. we needed to play a bit more aggressive passing and, and trying to play through the lines. We needed to... I would say maybe take the odd shot from from a little, little bit outside the box if the the opportunity arose. Um, that was my main thing with it. Really, other than it just seemed like we were doing safe passes a lot, a little bit for the sake of it, and then it would break down and not really go anywhere. So I think obviously in the end we've ended up winning, so you can't really criticise. But I, you know, I, I don't want to see us doing that again. I mean, we had a lot of passes. I think it was close to nine hundred, wasn't it? Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. You know, that's, obviously that looks great on paper, but from my point of view, we, we didn't really do enough to to hurt them. But in the end, as you say, the, the two substitutes made um, made the difference, really. So, yeah, that that was a good win against what was, for me, a, a really poor side. Side that looked like they are going to go down because they offered absolutely nothing. But, um, yeah, an, an important win, really, because obviously we've, uh, we've not won since, have we? No, um, we haven't picked up a point since. Uh, it's not been... Uh... Fantastic uh, run of form, but we looking at that just quickly on that. And Cham being the one that broke the deadlock after uh, seventy odd minutes, I believe, um, seventy four minutes. He's uh, he's come onto the pitch, and there's going back to what you were saying there. There's the difference, isn't it? It's about being brave. It's about breaking the lines. It's about making the runs. Um, and we've talked at length before about the midfield three and how we used to do it with like Fulton, Smith, and Grimes. Now we look like we're Downs, Smith, and Grimes, and we do this trio of defensive or um, ball-playing centre midfielders, we don't have anyone in there then who's going to provide the support to Patterson and Perot. And so they, again, another game in which they were largely isolated. And so when Cham coming on was able to break through those lines and that's where the first goal came from. Yeah, I think that is a big problem that you've raised there, really. I mean, Smith, Grimes, Downs, no goals between them all season then. You know, I'm not slagging any of them off as players. I mean, I think that they're all good players. Certainly, in the case, Downs and Grimes are very good players. Smith does a job for us, but you know, they they don't really have the attributes to play together. We it is too cautious. Then we're massively reliant on Patterson and Piro to to do the job for us, and I think that's that is a problem. So, you know, I can understand with Chama the the issue is really that his his fitness means that um, you know he can't always play three games in a week, or he has to maybe sit one out. And he, he doesn't tend to play 90 minutes, does he? So that is a problem. I think we're going to have to look to address that going forward, I think, because we are a bit reliant on certain players and we need a little bit more depth in certain positions. And, you know, we, I do feel like we need that little bit more creativity from uh, in midfield, really, because, 
you know, that will help us get more goals because I think that's certainly been weakness recently. Yeah, and I think that Ian Cham not being able to play three games in a week in a in a congested season, um, which we've been seeing the last couple of years, where is intense, isn't it? We've we've seen so many games come quick and thick and fast, and um, this division anyone can beat anyone. So to have that rotation, to have the freshness of players, um, can be the difference between um, winning and losing. I guess. Um, if there was a game on this bunch, Steve, which frustrated me um, in just the way it played out most, it's the one we're about to talk about now, which is the Reading game, in which uh, Naive, perhaps, doesn't really cover it. Uh, if you're going to concede straight after scoring, that's a cardinal sin in football. But to do it twice in the same game is is is, is almost unforgivable. Um I throw into the mix a classic standard Andy Carroll goal, despite him, you know, being his first one of his first games for his new club. It's absolutely nailed on that this was going to happen, really, isn't it? But naivety, uh, defensively, poor decision making, some atrocious passing in in a defensive third, and um, it feel, it feels like this was a massive opportunity lost to push ourselves up the table a little bit more. Oh, we definitely missed an opportunity. I mean, I thought when we got that uh, goal early on, really, that we'd end up going on to win fairly comfortably, to be honest with you. So, obviously, we've conceded pretty quickly from that. Um, Andy Carroll, as you say, as soon as he signed for Red, and I'm thinking, I can't believe that we played these in a couple of weeks. Here we go. Um, and obviously, he's managed to get a goal. And then, as you say, Manning's chipped in with a, a lovely volley to equalise, and I think it was Norton that's put a you know, a poor pass across the pitch and obviously that's led to them getting the winner. So we, we contributed to our own downfall, didn't we? I do think we were a little bit unlucky in this game because when you look at the winner, for example, it has hit the post and come back out to a Reading player. I mean, that could have gone elsewhere. Mm. But then we had a couple of goal scrambles, didn't we, um, you know, later on to try and get an equaliser and the ball didn't really fall for us. So, you know, I, I do think that it probably it was a game of fine margins that, that could have gone the other way, but at the same time, we... We lost because we shot ourselves in the foot, didn't we? We defensively twice, we were, yeah, yeah, twice. Well, at least twice, maybe yeah. three times. Yeah, exactly. Instead of the winner, we, you know, we have to look at ourselves and say that what we did wasn't good enough. So, yeah, that was a, a frustrating one. But I think Reading will probably do a win over us as the first one since two thousand and eight. So, the law of averages did suggest that that would happen at some point. Yeah, it did. Um, I guess one of the t- takes from the last those few games was. Uh, how we were scoring fantastic goals, um, but not necessarily uh, creating a great deal of simple opportunities. And I think this is an ongoing concern. Um, you could t- show a highlight reel of uh, Joel Piro's goals this season, and they're up there with anything you're going to see in Europe, to be honest with you, in terms of the actual goals he scored. 90% of them are phenomenal hits. And he's not really getting... The, the tap-ins, maybe the next game we're going to talk about was a chance where he could have got a couple of goals, um, easier goals, and sod's low, he doesn't actually put them away. And that was um, a trip to Riverside. Uh, Steve, for our sins, we were up there, and um, that was my one and only time of going up to Middlesbrough. Make no mistake about it. Uh, but um, that this was going back to the concern about referees and officials and how... We have not got the rub of the green at all this season on numerous occasions in this game um, and throw in another bit of defensive naivety into the mix and we come away with a 1-0 defeat. Um, let's start with the decisions that went against us in this one. Uh, let's namely mention uh, Pierobian hold down went through on goal by Saul Bamba and Jamie Patson's penalty shot. Yeah, that, the Pierobian one didn't really get mentioned um, that much, did it? Um... But it was a blatant foul, and it's outside the box, not a penalty, but that looked like a red card to me. So the fact that it isn't given is obviously typical. And then, like I said, the Patterson one, there was a bad touch from him initially. He's gone away from goal. He is looking for it, but he is brought down. So, mm. from my point of view, it is a penalty. Maybe, you know, he shouldn't go down as easily as, but it is a penalty. It's definitely got a free kick in the book in the other way, though. So, you know, that was right in front of us, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Oh, we were furious. Yeah, 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 and rightly so. The thing is with it, I think I expected us not to get it, but when he blew the whistle, 
I thought there's only one thing he can do here, which is point to the penalty spot. Because you could say, no, there's not enough in it for me. Or, you know, he's, he's gone looking for it. But one thing you cannot say, shadow doubt, you can't say he dived. Because this video footage, and the ref, by the way, there's a camera angle which shows the ref's view on this. It's unforgivable. The ref is looking straight at He's got a fantastic view. And you can see the keeper clean out Jimmy Patterson's legs. I mean, whether he takes a bad touch before the, the before the ball breaks, I think in this instance is irrelevant because the keeper still needs to get to the ball before him and he doesn't. And, and Patterson goes down over his challenge. I thought once he blew his whistle there, he's got to be pointing to the spot. Um, so yeah, quite angry when the yellow card came out for Patterson. Um, and then you, they got the winner for Middlesbrough, which... We're going to talk about an issue with our defending because it has really, we've looked really lax in the last couple of weeks. Um, this was all too easy, wasn't it? It just runs with the ball from wide from pretty much just inside our half and gets as far as six yards out before anyone's near him and it's our goalkeeper and he just prods it into the empty net. There's a lot to be learned from there um, and a lot of work needs to be done on defensive positions as well on when we're on when we're being countered as well, Steve. Yeah, I think so. I mean Reese Williams obviously has taken a little bit of stick for his performances and yeah, he's not done great. You can't really um say that he has. He has come into the team sort of after not playing for a while. So I I understand that maybe he'd be a bit rusty, but he hasn't looked like he's had the attributes really to to be great for us. I mean I was quite keen on Ryan Manning playing as a wing back, but since mm. he's moved from there you know, the positioning off and of Williams in that instance Cabango wasn't great in a couple of the other games I think so it shows maybe he does need to play there what we really need to do is sign another wing back or, or the Bidwell has to play for now um, I think that seems to be a problem we're, we're just a little bit slow I think at times and we're not the positioning seems to be poor because I think a lot of the defenders are either used to playing like Manning for example obviously he's sort of defending in areas he would as a full back which is fine because of the formation we're playing but some of the others they're not used to it because they used to play maybe in more of a flat back four type of thing. And, yeah. You know, they're being moved then into different positions because they're playing as a back three. So, yeah, it's, it's something that's going to have to be addressed, I think. And then, you know, obviously we've conceded quite a lot of goals recently. So, um, yeah, if we can, can you, well, if we continue to concede the amount of goals that we have been, we're not going to pick up many points. So, we're going to have to look at that. I think, obviously, we've had a little bit of a break now and hopefully... Um, you know, we can we've worked on a few things and we'll be um looking to um to improve. So yeah, it's it's a problem, isn't it? I think. But in general you look at the Middlesbrough game, I mean going forward we actually did create some decent This was the one game, wasn't it, where you thought, Do you know what, there's three or four chances in good areas rather than just someone picking out from nothing, this was something we did create. We had we had we had chances to win this game, I think. Well we did definitely. I mean you know, there, there were numerous chances, really. I mean, in, in a lot of the other games, like we created more chances in this than Barnsley, didn't we? Oh, yeah. I would say, by yeah. far, even though the Barnsley game was one that we dominated. So, I think it was more one of those days where the, the finishing did let us down as opposed to our creativity, which is, is better than it, it has been, at least, but still very frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, frustrating may be a word you're going to use for the, next, the last game as well which was uh, Steve Cooper's return to South Wales uh, with his Nottingham Forest team. Um, his biggest result of the season, uh, Nottingham Forest's biggest result of the season, and uh, a second half, which I think was littered with so many errors and so many lapses in concentration that it would have amplified any concerns we had about the defensive shape at the moment. And here in another game... Um, we could look at a uh, maybe a formation tweak, um, a personnel tweak, and also we probably need to look towards a January transfer window of actually bringing in players because there's some gaps we can't fill with the current roster. And well, let's start with the goals because uh, I think I may have seen the worst goalkeeping error I've ever seen live. And there's been good people listening to this podcast who I mean I. My first season that I can recall was 97. Um, but there's going to be people listening, Steve, going for 20, 30 years before me. And they're probably going to recall other goalkeeper errors. But I've not seen one as bad for the third goal as I did against Nottingham Forest. 
that was a clanger. And the game, it wasn't a good game for Ben Hamer at all. And the second half was just an amplification of that again. Yeah, Hamer had a shocker. Um, that's, as you say, that, that third goal was, was really bad. And I mean, that's a goalkeeper's bread and butter. I mean, you've got to deal with that. If I saw that in Parks football, I'd be thinking, you know, that, that's a bad one. Um, yeah, Hamer's not been great recently, has he? I mean, I mentioned the Blackpool mistake, didn't I? Um, you know, I think the Reading game, he was beaten on his near post. He was beaten on his near post for the first goal against Forrest. Um, the fourth goal, he's got two hands to it and it's slipped through him. Not a great day at the office, uh, is it? I mean, he's got to be under a little bit of pressure for his place, I would say. I mean, he started really well when he came into the team, but since then, not been great. I think it's understandable we've been linked with a goalkeeper in the press. So, yeah, not not great from him. I mean, Cabango didn't look great for the second one. There was like a little through ball and he, he was too slow to read it and, and react. And then the ball's gone across the box. It's a simple tap in from Forrest's point of view. It's a good goal, but... You know, we the frustrating thing is you look at the other end again as well. Perot would usually score that chance when they were mm. he's had more or less the open goal and he's missed it. Again, if we end up one 0 up at half time, it's a different game. So yeah, we we sort of contributed to our own downfall again, really, didn't we? But obviously it's typical that a certain manager that I think is <laughs> quite lucky in general, should we say has benefited from it. Five shots on target that game. Four of them ended up in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that says it all. That's, that's, that's what Steve Cooper's teams do. We used to do it. Didn't we? We would, yeah. uh, you know, we'd be clinical and then you'd end up winning games. You think, oh, yeah, if we won that, oh, yeah, we just took the chances. Yeah. Um, so, I think the Forest game, for me, encapsulates the issues we got at the moment, which, without trying to over-dramatise this, um, is all over the park. Right, let's go first of all what you mentioned there with Joel Piru. Uh, um, he misses the open goal, but it's one of the very few chances we create by actually playing. To, to, so, I'm taking it back a little bit now. Uh, I look at the teams where we were playing the total football, and I look at the Rogers and the Loudrups and the Martinezes, and... What we used to do very well there was we were obviously very keen and very hot on possession. Uh, we used to move the ball left to right, drag the opposition left to right. But what that would allow us to do then is when we were dragging them around the pitch was to create the spaces for your more explosive players in Rogers' time. We're looking at the Scots and Clares and stuff. Um, and then obviously later on we're looking at the Nathan Dyers, etc. Oh, to get into the space to hurt the opposition. Now I feel... The movement left to right and the, the dragging the opposition apart only works if when the opportunity arises, you then play the brave ball. And that's something that we used to do. And I feel like we talked about um, one of the games we were just analysing, I forget which one it is now, about not taking the brave chances. Well, we talked about Barnsley when we actually won the game. Six, 65 minutes of that game, we weren't playing brave football. We were just passing it around, keeping the ball, not really hurting Barnsley. And here's an example of one ball we played over the top uh, for Ethan Led, And the, he was going in, albeit on the wing, he was going in on goal. Um, the defender knew he had to cut it out. He'd thrown his head at it. He's ended up deflecting it into the path of Piru with an open goal. That is what happens when you move the opposition about and, hurt, and then go to hurt them. And, and this is why when we go sideways, 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 it needs to be with a view. What do they call it? They call it possession with a purpose, don't they? They call it actually trying to create something at the end rather than just keep the ball. Um, but it's all too off. It's all too rare, Steve, that we actually do that. And as a result, we don't really create the um, the glut of chances that we should do for the ball we have. We should create loads of chances. We're getting 70% possession. We're getting 600 passes. But the chances, the good, the good chances haven't been created Pirot again in this game, another worldie out of nothing. I mean, if we were relying on worldies rather than, are we going to square this now six yards out for a tap in because we've made the space? And I think it's an area of concern for Russell Martin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I'm honest about it, like, I'm not huge on the formation of wing backs. I think it can restrict you at times. I mean, I know we're seeing a lot from the wing backs going forward in terms of, you know, quite often the back. Back three are left a little bit exposed, and I think that's hurt us as well. But I think the, the best Swansea teams, from my point of view, have played this either 4 3 3 or 4 2 3 1. And 
I think that does lend itself better to the type of football that we want to play. Obviously, the manager's not going to change that, and he's he, well, he's got rid of all the white players anyway, so that's not going to happen. But I do think at times that is the better way to go in terms of, of dominating games, really, and being a bit more creative. So, yeah, I'd, I think ideally I would rather we try to play that way, but you know we're not going to do it, let's be realistic. I mean, the manager's set his stall out, he wants to play with a 3 5 2 and with attacking wing backs. And, yeah, I think at times it is a little bit restrictive. We we definitely got to bring in, you know, a more creative midfield player to try and complement what we've got. And obviously, like I said, Perot feel is under a lot of pressure to keep scoring. You know, there needs to be another option there because obviously there's been various rumours about Albafemi, and when he has come on, he hasn't done a lot. So, mm. you know, um, I I just think what we're seeing now is a little bit we're lacking depth. We're not. Um, you know, we're relying on certain players. If they don't play well, or they've got a knock and they don't play. It's starting to show, I think. So, you know, we, we need to manoeuvre things around a little bit. And obviously, we've got a few players that can't get a look in. And um, that's what we need to to change, really. Um, just try and maybe ship a couple out, bring a couple in in January. And I think that would, that would give us maybe a little bit of a fresh impetus. So, so we addressed there the uh, creation of chances, um, which is something that has been few and far between. Maybe... The one 0 defeat of Borough was probably the only example where we created, you know, really good, uh, continually created good chances, and probably should have come away from that game with something. But um, in general, it's it's that trio in midfield as well. I feel like Downs needs to play in front of the back four. I think he can run the game. For me, when Downs plays, he's a captain on the pitch. He he, he plays like a captain. He's he's into every challenge. He's he's. Um, making his presence felt he's all over the pitch he covers every blade of grass he's dripping in confidence he's full of skill he's doing everything you want your captain to do he's leading by example um, and then in front of him then because you've got him covering that he's marshalling the defence he's protecting the back four you need to have your bravery in midfield then you need to have those whoever's going to play in that uh, centre midfield role trying to break the lines it can't be receive the ball, turn and pass it. It needs to be, let's try and drive with the ball. Let's try and make the opposition retreat back into their own half. Um, and the only player we've really got to do that from the midfield starting spot at the moment is Cham, And he does it regularly. But of course, we've talked about Cham and his amount of minutes we can really give him. Um, can we play him every minute of every game? No. Uh, that's going to be an ongoing issue, I think. But um, yeah, so... That's covering the top end of the pitch. We talk about bravery, we talk about chance creation. Steve, at the other end of the pitch, maybe even more alarming, is our defensive shape, which is continually gifting the opposition incredible opportunities to score. Um, we look at goals we've conceded recently, and the, probably the best example of this is Borough away, where the winger gets the ball just inside our half and is not challenged at all, at any point, before he puts the ball in the net. And for me, you touched upon it for a little bit uh, earlier on in the podcast, about Manning moving out of the left centre-back role, and I feel like it's key. I feel like I'm not I'm not going to sit here and profess to be Jake Bidwell's biggest fan, but I feel like since he's dropped out of the team and Manning's gone left wing, we're missing Manning in the back three. Um, if we are to carry on playing this formation, Manning needs to go back in there. Because when that ball goes over the top, on a counter-attack, bear in mind, I did this in the pub on Saturday night. I was drunk and we were doing it with Jaeger bombs and it was it looked great then. I can't do it visually on a podcast. But when the ball comes over the top out wide, um, Manning as a left-back naturally, his instinct is to go to meet the winger. He's, he will drift out wide and meet the threat. Whereas Rhys Williams, well, you can all see, he turns around. Cabango's the same. Ryan Bennett, to an extent, is the same. Issue with those two, by the way, as well, is a big lack of pace to catch anyone. But their instinct is going to be to turn around and run towards their goal. They're centre-halves. That's what they'll do. Reese Williams, again, turn around, run towards his own goal, defend his six-yard box. What happens then is the winger, and we're seeing this on a weekly basis now, by the way, the winger isn't challenged because Manning is up the pitch, Laird is up the pitch the other side, and there's no one in the defence, the back three then, who's going to attract... Um, Who's going to go and attach himself to the winger. They're just going to run back. And so what happens then is they keep coming in, they keep coming in. Middlesbrough just goes and scores himself. But in other games, even early in the Forest game, um, they create the chance where they fizzed it across the face of goal because the winger wasn't challenged. 
He was able to run up the up, right up the pitch, right to the edge of our box. Yes, we had defenders in the box, but didn't stop him from smashing the ball across the face of goal. Only takes a deflection, it's a goal. Um, I think it's an issue. I think it needs a January transfer window to fix, and maybe even a summer transfer window as well, because I don't think bringing in a centre-half is necessarily going to fix this. We need someone, if we are to persist with five at the back, Steve, we need someone with the mentality of Ryan Manning playing there who's going to meet the threat on both sides of Norton, say, if he's playing at the back of the three, in the centre of the three. And we also need someone who's going to be decent enough on the wing because we all think that perhaps Bidwell isn't quite up to the standard we need on that side either. So there's big problems, you know, at the back. I think there's big question marks to be had, isn't there, about where we're going to fix this defensive issue we've got at the moment. Yeah, it is a tough one, as you say. I mean, it does feel like, in some ways, it needs a bit of a rebuild because, you know, it's a few of those defenders are just being found out and they're being exposed. I think we need we need a bit more pace at the back as well. Sometimes we can be high up and we can get caught. And I think we've said before that the lack of pace in this team is a little bit concerning. Really. We've got Led, who's quick. Oberfermi is quick, but obviously he doesn't really play and he's up front anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, um, you know, we've got a... I think we have got to make some changes. Like I said, Manning really does need to be in that back three. I think that's what we have seen. So, you know, I can't say Bidwell is one of my favourites. I think that ideally he needs to be on the bench and we need another left wing back. But getting one would be tricky, I think. Mm. You know, Norton has done well, to be fair. And then, you know, are we going to play with him and Bennett together long term? And as the other two, I'm, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Like, Cabango is more of your old school centre half. He's not the quickest. He's good in the challenge, he's good in the air. Maybe that doesn't suit us overall, but obviously we can't change everybody. So it's a difficult one. Sometimes you need to work with what you've got and try and improve them. And I think obviously that, that probably will happen over a period of time. But at the same time, I think you do need sometimes specialist players if you want to play in the way that we do. And, um, you know, some of the players, have, they are falling a little bit short on it. And obviously it's, it's costing us points. So we're looking at numerous signings needed. Um, but I want to take you back to your other point. And when you look at the most successful Swansea teams over the last 15 years or so, um, the formation you mentioned a little bit earlier on. Now, for me, I mean, it's something worth considering. It is, because you look. we're talking about Manning or uh, Bidwell playing on that left wing spot and the other one playing in the back. Well, in a four, four at the back, two, three, one, they could both play. Manning could play as the high, high left-sided player, Bidwell would then sit as the left back, and I, I think Bidwell, he's he lacks pace and whatnot, but I think he could play in that position. We would then just need to get someone to play right back. I know we know players can cover there. Um, I guess the loss of Conor Roberts really hampers us here uh, in in the summer because that would have been a fantastic op- opportunity to see a, a, him and Led. But having the two, you've got the overlap, and then you've got you've got the extra player on the on the wing. Um, and also it allows then your centre-backs to be centre-backs. We're asking Cabango and Bennett at the moment to play left centre-back and right centre-back and cover that whole side of the pitch. I don't think they're mobile enough. I don't think those two are mobile enough to cover the whole right and whole left-hand side of the pitch while Manning and Led are attacking the other end. That is the issue, isn't it? Um... Look, we, we, longer term, this was always going to take time. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, from my point of view anyway, I always felt that um, this would take three transfer windows. So we're looking at next summer, really, until we really um, can um, can benefit it. So, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? We've got to sort of manage as best we can. But at the same time, can we bring a couple in? Maybe. I, I don't know. That's what we've... We've got to do, but we do have some players that are, you know, a little bit limited. I think some of the other ones that are not really playing, because certainly in midfield, because we've got the options there. But in in other positions, really, we are having to maybe go with players that the, the manager wouldn't see as as ideal long term solutions, really. So, look, we, you know, you can always improve players, but at the same time, you know, some of them are not going to be up to doing what we need them to do. So. It's a tough one, isn't it? I think we, we certainly need to try and look and bring a couple in in January just to try and uh, you know, improve the situation. Yeah, I, I, I personally think the formation was a fantastic one for Cooper and, and, and the way he wanted to play the game. 
um, because it was very solid at the back because we were very much a more um, keep a keep a clean sheet and, 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 and catch the opposition on the break. We spoke about this at length last season, um, how we would nick results and um, and come away from, but we were just solid and, and, and scoring the odd goal and shutting up shop. And I think that uh, that 5-4-1 or 5-3-1-1 or whatever we look at it, um, at the, in that situation, works very well. But what we're trying to do now is play a more progressive, a more attacking style of play in a little bit more of a defensive formation. Maybe maybe it's too difficult to go and try and rip the rule book up and change that now in mid-season. That's what Russell Martin to the side. I do think it's something that he needs to look at, though, because I think it's not just a personnel issue for me. There's a mentality issue. Um, there's a, Does the formation allow us to play the brave football that we're asking and Russell Martin's asking us to play. There's questions. There are questions. Um, so we move on from um, all the uh, challenges that Russell Martin faces. Now we're going to talk about uh, this, by the way. I'll, I'll bring it up now. Um, this podcast is a re-record. We actually recorded this 24 hours previously. Um, but since then, and we're talking to you now on Wednesday the 22nd, um, so th- th- this now has been changed. So we've had to re-record because uh, the restrictions and whatnot have been updated. And well, they may be updated furthermore. We don't know. But at the moment, this we had to just start again because you know, a big section of the podcast was immediately out of date. So we wouldn't be doing our uh, job. We weren't going to address the fact, Steve, that Swans fans have once again uh, got the brunt of the uh, Welsh Government's rulings and we found ourselves as the only professional Welsh sports team that had been banned from their stadium over Christmas and um, over, and look, I'm no virologist, but whatever's out there and all the data that's been published coming from South Africa, coming from what we're seeing in this country is to me an incredible overreaction and has hampered people at the last minute before Christmas and the time of year everyone really enjoys. I am not seeing out there what has caused this reaction. It feels incredibly harsh. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, look, I think last year everyone was a bit like, right, well, we don't have a cure for this disease. Mm-hmm. If the NHS gets overwhelmed, too many people get this at the same time, obviously the consequences will be bad. So I think everybody was a bit like, okay, now we have to accept that we have to make these sacrifices for the longer term um i think the problem then comes when you know some of us have been double jabbed some triple jabbed um there's been covid passes obviously the you know this thing is never going to go away is it obviously there's a new variant now but the data does suggest it's milder and that hospitalizations and deaths are a lot lower even though the cases have gone higher so I think that's what makes it quite tough to, to understand and appreciate really at this stage. So, you know, it is frustrating. The fact is we, we've all put up with a lot. We, we couldn't go to the Swans for the best part of 18 months. You know, we, we've been back down there and it's been great. But now it's been taken away and I'm, I think we're owed more of an explanation, this, to be honest, because, you know, football for a lot of us is, is like a release, isn't it? We, we all love to go. We love the social side of it. And, you know, we've had it taken away again. It's not gone from either... Like from full crowds either to like reduce capacity, it's gone to naught. Yeah. And that to me does sounds very harsh and, and not on really. So I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about the fact that it was released at midnight. Um, it was a cowardly way to announce it, in my opinion. Yeah. We still haven't had the justification really from my point of view. So yeah, really disappointed and annoyed and uh, yeah, a little bit betrayed, if I'm honest. I'll, I'm gonna bring up to date, up to speed now on just quite how out of touch. Um, the the first minister and his team are, in which uh, Nicholas Sturgeon in Scotland, by the way, um, has brought in a capacity limit of five hundred for outdoor sporting events. Uh, when asked about the reason why uh, Drakeford has only allowed for fifty, in in the same situation, he said that um, the difference between fifty and five hundred is 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 is. You know, not you know, it, it wouldn't make a difference. Eighty percent of the sporting events that will be happening over the next few weeks in Wales will have a capacity and an attendance of less than five hundred. Look at grassroots. 
Look at amateur level. Look at semi-pro. These are getting crowds of local die-hard supporters, whatever, who turn up every week in open-air stadiums. A lot of them without roofs. A lot of them just sitting, standing on the side of a pitch. And he's saying it doesn't matter. Because this is how out of touch things are. Where he doesn't realise. He only sees, uh, you know, Welsh rugby. He sees, you know, internationals. He doesn't see... Everything that's going on, I think, is incredibly short-sighted to say the difference between 50 and 500 is 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 not worth talking about because that is a massive difference for, like I say, about 80% of the sporting uh, associations in Wales. Yeah, I, I don't get that one. I mean, he's, he's picked on grassroots sport, I think, from day one and yeah. hasn't really allowed much of a crowd until really this season. I mean, a lot of other places were having crowds when they last season and he was having none of it even when... You know, a lot of people were vaccinated and the weather picked up towards the end of last season. So, yeah, look, it just seems a little bit like Drakeford has got in for certain industries. And unfortunately for us, it's industries that we seem to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's trying to take away sort of pleasures in life, isn't it? Whereas his dream is probably just to sit at home and read a book in a rocking chair. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just really frustrating. He's built up a lot of goodwill. He's, he has put things first like done a better job than a certain moron in Westminster but this time I I'm not happy about it and no you know I think a lot of people feel like this is a little bit like the straw that's uh, broken the camel's back they have they will have lost a lot of goodwill over this there's been a massive backlash on social media over the restrictions look we've we've all lost or know someone if we haven't lost directly we lost people to um flu and and winter diseases are not going to get rid of it it's there it people who are vulnerable are going to uh, have to protect themselves more we were given the first jab and then we were told we needed a second and then we were told we needed a booster all with the idea of getting back to a sense of normality and yet at the first opportunity where hospitals are by the way not in any way compromised at this stage from what the data is showing us the first opportunity is shut it all down and steve I hate to tell you, but if you've had three jabs and you've been wearing a mask and you've been social distancing and you've not been seeing your vulnerable loved ones, etc., 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 as they told us to for the last two years, and Joe Bloggs across the street has done none of the sort. He's not even jabbed once. He's not worn a mask, whatever. It doesn't matter now because you downloading the COVID pass and you know putting your data online to prove that you've had X, Y, and Z jabs and etc. doesn't matter because you're being treated exactly the same way as someone who hasn't done any of these things, and this is directly against everything that they promised. They promised that if you had these jabs, you'd get your freedom. You'd you been able to come back and go to these events. And what's turned out to be the case is it's a lot of bollocks, and you're being treated exactly as if someone who'd done nothing now, because you can't go to these things. You can't go to these sporting events, which you're protected from, and you're you've had your jabs. You've done everything you can. I think it's. I just think it's really unfair. Well, yeah, um, I think we all feel like that, don't we? So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will feel the same way. And you know, what what else can we say? But it's it's gutted, isn't it? And like the other thing is now, when is this going to end again? Because when are we going to be allowed back in? When we're allowed back in, is it going to be with full crowds? Probably not. So that means we could be looking at a long way off full crowds again. And do you know what? I think everyone's just had a bit of a guts fun now. Like, yeah. you know, this thing is never, ever going away. No. Unfortunately, I'd like it to, but it won't. So, you know, we can't just put things off forever. I mean, we, I want to be down the swans. I think like most people do. We want to be doing other things. And, you know, um, I think there's only so much you can ask of people at the end of the day. And it doesn't help, does it, when, shall we say, certain cheese and wine parties don't seem to get investigated. Well but the rest of us, uh, yeah, you know can't do certain things, even though we're jabbed and then in general, have obeyed the rules. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Last point to note on this is is that I kind of was fully in support of the idea of, you know, easing the burden in the NHS. It was getting overwhelmed last year, and I thought, no, this makes sense. What it doesn't make sense is doing it now on cases alone, because the hospitalizations are low. So if you're just doing it on cases alone, what you're saying is anyone who comes down with an ailment... Now, even if they don't need any treatment or any help for it, we're going to shut down the country for it. Because what that says to me more about than this Christmas is that will be every Christmas for eternity. Because there's no going to be, there's not going to be not any Christmas coming forward now where we're not going to have an outbreak of the flu, of the cold, of a variant of COVID 
But the idea was always to keep the NHS safe, to protect it from being overwhelmed. And this time we've acted on something completely different, which I think is moving the goalposts. But I've had my rant. Steve's had his say as well. We're going to move on now and talk about the uh, January transfer window. Um, we'll be talking about this probably every every podcast now uh, for the next month or so. Um, but let's start it off with the early uh, rumours, Steve. Uh, we talked about Ben Hamer. He's one that's been linked with for quite a while. Um being replaced as an MK Dons goalkeeper we've been linked with. In fact, as an MK Dons keeper and a centre-half that we've been linked with. A, a double swoop of sorts at around about three or four million, I think, was the numbers being bandied about. Um, that's something that uh, clearly, there, there must be something there with that because that rumour hasn't gone away for quite some time now. Um, obviously, MK Dons, Russell Martin's former club. I see some legs in that one happening in January or in the summer, if not. Yeah, I think the, the problem is now, obviously, I don't want to keep going back to the fact that there's no crowds, but obviously that's going to hurt the club, isn't it? I mean, we're going to have to mm. potentially dish out refunds. You're not going to be able to sell hospitality packages, etc., food and drink. And we don't know how long that's going to go on for. It does put things more up in the air. <clears throat> it's going to make it trickier for us to do deals because we don't know what the finances are like. And if we're honest, saying it's a loan for the rest of the season, why would you want to come to Swansea? who don't have crowds as opposed to going to a club that does have crowds mm. because we don't know how long it's going to last and also the clubs may themselves go well what if they go to Swansea they'll be, they'll be like playing under 23's football because there's no crowd and there's no crowd under 23's football so I do think it's going to make things trickier for us now I, I don't know what we're going to do from my point of view we have heard that we have to sell to buy which I'm not surprised about at all mm. So arguably we should start by talking where we might go. But I think Jay Fulton's an obvious one that might go. Mm. Jan Dander the same. Now you're getting a look in. Liam Walsh is not getting a look in, is he? No. So I don't know if he'd go permanently, but will he go on loan? Maybe. I mean, we do then. If we do send the three of them out, then that is going to give us a little bit. Because at the moment we're well, well, we're well, we're well stocked, but it would leave us with a little bit of weakness then in the centre. Um, I would personally say Dander and Fulton. Fulton will get us a few quid. Dander, perhaps just to get him off the books. Um, and maybe Liam Walsh just be the uh, centre midfielder on the bench then. Um, because we would probably be looking a little bit like. But when we look at the likes of Dan Williams, who, you know, showed great promise in the pre-season games he played, um, is he going to maybe have a little bit more of a prominent feature going forward? You'd like to hope that we'd still be looking to bring players into the fold who... Uh, Young and local, and um, you know, there's a time and a place, of course. Um, but mentioning people who might attract uh, <laughs> some interest, one that was brought to the attention last week, Steve, was uh, Joel Pirro, a top goal scorer, of course. He's been linked with Leicester. Um, the we, 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 when we talked about this last night, we didn't necessarily um, agree on. The figure now, ten million has been bandied about. I think that's about five or six million shy, for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, he's simply way worth way more than ten million pounds as a twenty-one-year-old um, striker who's taken the league by storm and he's scored. He's not just finishing off team moves. Well, in two months, he is not finishing off team moves. He's scoring out of nothing. So imagine what he could do if he was given the chances regularly. Um, he is a he is a huge talent. I think he's under contract. He's got a three year deal. I think I don't think there's any need to sell him now. And secondly, we've got no one, no one to replace him. And anyone we brought in to replace him would be a risk against the sure thing. It would be a risk to bring someone in. Obafemi hasn't done it. He's looked lazy when he's been on the pitch. Um, we've talked about attitude problems with him, professionalism issues. Uh, Russell Martin's even spoken about that. The other option, Liam Cullen. Youngster, he should have gone out on loan a year ago. He didn't. His his career has been hampered by it. He desperately needs to go out and play in League Two or League One, thirty games, thirty plus games a season now to get the game time. Um, so to release Piru, for now, for me, it would need to be an eye watering sum to make us think. Well, do you know what? Yes, we're going to lose a massive talent. Yes, this player is going to only increase in value for the next five or six years. But for this money. We can't turn it down. And for me, 
that figure currently stands at 15, 16 million. But you're going to bring up the issue with finances and whether the club were going to pull uh, a rabbit out of the hat here and hold on for the money or whether they're going to buckle at the first. And we know what we've seen previously, apart from that brief stint under Trevor Birch, we know what the club tend to do when money's on the table. Yeah, <clears throat> from my point of view, if there's an offer of 10 million, I don't think it's getting turned down, if, if I'm brutally honest. I mean, we've caved in the past, as you said. Um, we don't know what the finances of the club are like. What was he, a million? To get 10 times the value in six months, they'll tell you it was good business. And arguably, it, it, it's all it is. But obviously, that wouldn't be great, would it, from our point of view? It would be nice to at least hang on to him for the season. So. You know, I think in the old climate, he was worth more than that. I mean, you look at it, a couple of years ago, McBurney went for 20 million. We're not in the same world anymore post-COVID. It's, it's different. The Conor Roberts deal, for example, was pretty abysmal and we ended up taking it. The, the Rodan deal before that was not good. I mean, we've even seen today that we're still waiting on over 5 million of that and we've, we've taken our loan against the money. So, you know... Um, Realistically, I, I don't think they're turning down ten million. That, that's all I'm saying. I, I I don't think I agree with it, mm. but I don't think they're turning it down. Yeah, I, the only thing I would say to that is, if we kept him till the summer, he he'd be worth he'd, he'd be worth more. He he would constantly be worth more. So, this is like the whole Dan James to Leeds thing for me. When the Americans wanted to sell him in the January transfer window for a million pounds, and Hugh Jenkins pulled the plug in the last minute. And they end up making 18 million, was it, off him at the end of the season? Yeah, uh, 15. 15 million uh, with, with the add ons and whatnot. So he's an example there of why you have to. I, I get that you need to keep the balance in the box, but at the same time, you also need to have a bit of football sense about you, a bit of nous, and know the market. And, um, you know, if, if, if you meant sacrificing a signing in January to keep Piro, then. I think we'd be make prudent sense uh, financially for us to do so, but I don't want to second guess this club when it comes to selling players because, um, like I say, it's a very brief moment under Trevor Birch where we seem to get value. But apart from that, since relegation, it has been one big fire sale, and uh, it's depressing to watch years years of academy building and not not a few you know more than a few quid spent on it as well. To watch all those players then um, be shipped off on the cheap and whatnot. And Joel Piro was an inspired signing in the summer. Um, I hope we're able to keep hold of him. Another player that's been mentioned, Steve, is a player on loan from Brighton, Mark Leonard. Again, this might add into the fact that we're talking about midfield. And if we are going to lose the likes of Fulton and uh, Dander, then maybe this one comes in to just add the reinforcements where they would leave gaps. Yeah, I think so. That's what we've got to be looking at, really, isn't it? If, if players go in some situations, we need to plug the gaps. I mean, you know, but there's the, we need to focus, I think, mainly, don't we, on the areas where we're, we're short of, like, the quality, don't we? I mean, that attack in midfield area is definitely one, isn't it, as I've already said. And then, you know, whether we look to bring in the left wing back, so their Manning is considered to be that, you know, um, that left of the, the three centre-backs. So I think that's how we've got to look at it, really, isn't it? I mean, we, we definitely need... If if play, a few players from a certain position go, we'll have to cover them. But first and foremost, we need starters, really, that are going to go into um, the team in the weak areas that we've got. Yeah, uh, we'll keep touching up on this as rumours come out, and uh, we're sure they'll start uh, accelerating once um, once we know a bit more about what's happening, especially with the COVID situation and um, where the club is at financially. Russell Martin did speak today about the difficulties that he's going to face now with the club having to play behind closed doors. Again, need I, add, need I remind you that um, Newport and Cardiff's home games have already been called off. So it's only Swansea who have been forced to play behind closed doors. That will be on the 29th of December against Luton as it stands. Um, that situation is fluid. We've had two confirmed cases of COVID in the Swans camp at the moment, both fully vaccinated players. Um We'll see how that situation develops at the moment. As for the Jackass, we're looking to come back in the new year, which means, Steve, um, we've got a few games to look ahead to. Um, starting on Boxing Day, Millwall away. It's very difficult to 
analyse and predict at this stage because there's been a bit of a gap now with the QPR game being called off um, to know what Swansea's going to turn up. It almost feels like we've had a little bit of an international break again whereby he's going to have worked a lot on the training ground. If we have the same Swansea we've had over the last six games, then it's going to be a difficult afternoon against a full house. Um, but that break might have given Russell Martin food for thought. We have just come off a thumping at our own ground. So we'd be naive to think that he's not going to change anything. And we talk about people like Hamer. We talk about some of the positions and defence. So we think Manning needs to slot back in there. This one gone. This one have gone unnoticed to Russell Martin. Whether we can look analyse the goals we've conceded lately. So we might see some changes. But nonetheless, it makes it really difficult to look ahead to a fixture and predict how it's going to go. Yeah, it does. I mean, who, who honestly knows? I, I do feel at the moment almost a bit like we're, we're starting from scratch a little bit. We haven't played for a while. I mean, you know, Millwall have had COVID cases. It's been seen today that we've got two, haven't we? Yeah. But that they should be clear by Luton, so, which is a good thing. Obviously, we wish both play as well. But, um, yeah, um, it's, it's hard to, to do any sort of predictions, I think, for the next three games or so, I think. You know, how are we going to adapt behind closed doors, for example? Again, a lot of the players are used to it, but... The team's quite actually different, isn't it, from last season? So yeah. it's it's a difficult one. I mean, how we do, I don't know. I just hope we get some points to keep us ticking over. It's, we've we've slid, it's fair to say, in the recent uh, slump. We've slid down to 16th now. Um, Millwall at 12th. Um, in different form themselves. In, in You know, they, they've won one up to the last five. Um, with five points in that time. But they're uh, they're on thirty. We're on twenty seven points as it stands. So I mean the tables are tight. It's, of course it's going to be tight. Uh, I think to be honest with you, Steve, uh, when we look ahead to Millwall and then Luton, because the new year brings a game against Fulham, which again is going to be a very difficult game regardless of Fulham's form, um, which we'll touch on in a little bit. I think one of these games, Millwall or Luton, we need to win. Yeah, I think that's fair. We, we do need a win. I mean, it's going to be difficult, isn't it, to get to beat Fulham. So, even though they're all in a little bit of a slump, I mean, they've got good players, haven't they? So, yeah, we, you know, if we don't get a win in these next three, I mean, a lot can happen in that time. But we're looking at one win in nine, then. It's it's not great. 16th in the league is awful, but we don't want to be sinking any lower than that, really, do we? And then, you know, it's, it's all, if you want to run like that, there's always that pressure, that negative comments and everything like that. Yeah. We just don't need it, do we? So... If we can just pick up about four points from those next three games, I think that would be that would be good. It won't shoot us up the table, but it will keep us ticking over. You know, this time of year is always you know it's notorious for if you have a good spell, you can really jump up places. If you have a bad one, you can drop, and obviously you can do that in you know less than a week, really, can't you? Because you often play three games in such quick yeah. succession. So you know it is a big period for it if you're on a, a bad run. I think. You know, you definitely don't want that to carry on right now because if it does, then yeah, we. I don't think we'll. No, we've got a nice little gap to the bottom three, but at the same time, we don't be going close to it. I, yeah, I think the bottom three this season. I think we're going to be okay on the fact that we've had deductions in the league. You know, teams have been hampered by um, all sorts of off off field goings on. Um, if anything, we were talking a few weeks ago about how Jamie Cardiff are because they're having an absolute stinker of a season. And going through managers, and um, they'll survive on virtue of other teams getting points deductions. Um, so I, I feel like, in the sense of our situation, um, we'll be fine. We'll be fine from the from the, from that side of the table. Um, but yeah, four four points in the next three games. Um, look, the table split up into three for me. There's the bottom five. Uh, we look in. There's a you know a few points separating like nineteenth and twenty second where. You look at Peterborough, probably, well, Peterborough closest again out to the bottom three, but they're they're still in there, but they're in, in well, well within the shout of coming out. And you've got the top, uh, what are we looking at here? Top four teams, which have had a little bit of a breakaway there because Fulham and Bournemouth have dropped off so heavily in the last few weeks. Uh, Blackburn and West Brom in third and fourth have climbed right up onto their tails. But those four, again, six points off fifth place then. So there's a gap. And then there's a whole, like, 13 teams or something in between, 13, 14 teams that are within six or seven points of each other then in terms of climbing and dropping the table. It only takes a little bit of a dip like us that we've had. 
where we were talking last podcast about being a playoff team. Now we're talking about we're going to be safe. That's how big a difference that those fixtures can make, isn't it? And um, similarly, uh, an upturn in form around this time of year can see us climb back into the top half. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, we are so close, aren't we, in that middle of the table? So it can, it really can just t- turn really quickly, and it can turn unexpectedly at times as well. I mean, there's been loads of occasions previously where we've we've fancied ourselves that we've gone a good run, and the opposite happened. And then, you know, I remember in the prayer a few times where we'd see a really daunting run of fixtures and think, "We're crap. How are we getting points?" <laughs> and then we'd pull a couple of rabbits up there and think, "Oh, the hell have we pulled that off?" So. It's, football's a funny game and it? it's, it's hard to predict and this division especially has always been notoriously you know difficult to, to call isn't it so you know we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens but we, we could do with a win couldn't we at least we could we could so um, obviously after Millwall is Luton um, this is uh, absolutely one of the ones we need to be targeting they're, 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 they're 14th they're only a couple of spot places above us uh, of course they brought the memorable 3 all draw um, earlier in the season, um, they have defensive, you know, issues themselves in terms of um, the way they like to play football as well. But um, no, from from Swan's point of view, that of the three games, there's the opportunity to get the win. Um, so fingers crossed that we can pick up a couple of results between Millwall and Luton. It's an odd one with Fulham in the New Year, Steve, isn't it? Because I could say their form has dropped off a side of a cliff themselves. But uh, at the same time, they're Fulham, and they'll still have uh, Mitrovic playing up front, and he will still score against us. Yeah, that's what it feels like, doesn't it, with Mitrovic? So, yeah, I mean, the fact is, when you've got a player like that at that level, then you know, if you create chances, there's going to be a lot of goals. So, yeah, Fulham are a good side. You know, they've had that little slump, but I think it'd be a surprise, wouldn't it, if they weren't in the top two at the end of the season? I think most people would expect them to go up. So. It's a, it's a difficult game, probably not a bad one to sort of get out of the way. Um, we would have played them twice then as well. So, mm. yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll see. Uh, it'll be a tough game, anything would be a bonus against them, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So I'm going to come to that time of the podcast now, Steve. I'm going to ask you for score predictions, uh, starting off with uh, Millwall uh, on Boxing Day. I'm going to go one all, which I know is my standard one. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Millwall. One all, sorry, not Millwall. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that we're going to win that one, uh, one nil. Uh, Luton on the 29th? I'm going to say one nil on that. I think that's the one we'll win. Okay. Um... Wouldn't it be typical of us to beat Millwall and not win against Luton? That would be us, wouldn't it? Uh, I'll go one all against Luton. I'm going to flip reverse it and say we're going to end up dropping points. No thanks to uh, Drakeford and making us play behind closed doors and uh, follow them then in the new year, Steve. And um, this one is uh, this one is probably going to be the one you're going to predict a defeat, right? Yeah, I would have thought so. I'm going to say two one to follow them. They've uh, they scored 40, 51 goals this season, 12-26, so they're one goal off Dublin, our goal tally, um, which says it all. And also we've conceded 12 more than them. Uh, just to contextualise that for you, our goal difference is minus 5 and Fulham's is plus 32. Slight difference, eh? A little bit of a difference, a 37-goal swing. So, um, yeah, anything you get from this game would be a bonus. I'm going to put us down for a 2-0 defeat. Um, but yes, hopefully, uh, picking up four points in the next three games will, you know, steady the ship a little bit. And going into the January transfer window, Steve, and um, something to look forward to in terms of um, incomings and outgoings and what that means to the club. We're about to see. Um, listen, look, let's end the podcast on a positive, an optimistic viewpoint, and say that this recent slump in form is Russell Martin highlighting the areas of concern to the owners in 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 advance of the January transfer window. Because if you look at his MK Dons team, they picked up after Christmas on a, in a big way. And in fact, when we had Graham Potter down here, who also tried to revolutionise the way we were playing after three dreadful years in the Premier League, he took until around Christmas time to turn our results into positives and, and really start us climbing the table in a big way. So... There's a precedent here that when you go into you know 
start start from scratch. It does take the first half of the season to perhaps get it right. Am I being overly optimistic, or can we hope for a second half of the season where we pick up a few more wins than defeats? Well, I think before the season started, I was expecting us to get better as the season went on. So, yeah, I, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, the same happened with Martin and MK Dogs last year. They had great form yeah, after Christmas. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's what we'd be looking for, and that'll give us clear signs of progress and optimism for, for next season, really. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, fingers crossed. Um, let's, let's hope that that's the case anyway. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here now. Uh, again, sorry for taking quite as long as we have to get into it. We're going to have to just bite the bullet in future. And if we can't get all three of us onto the pod, we'll just have to do it with what we can and get one out for you guys. Um, but that is it now for 2021 from the Jackcast. A very Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope you can make the best of it in the current circumstances. And a happy new year from myself, Steve, and Gitto in his absence. Thank you very much for listening this year, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye for now.